Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 354, recorded December 5th, 2021. So 354 doesn't sound like a monumentous number, but it's actually kind of important for today. Oh my god, is it important? (laughs) Ken and I, 12 years ago, had the idea of doing this and uh, reviewing every Star Trek comic ever written. And today, actually 11 years later of publication of these episodes, Mm -hmm. we're actually done. This is the last published book that's that's come out as of december 2021 i'm amazed we have completed our mission the mission i derided you for saying this is really not going to happen it's going to take too long and i stupidly thought it would take it's only going to take three years again we'll do (laughs) we'll do four episodes four issues a week and we won't ever take time off, and we'll be done in three years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I went back to that episode, and I just listened a little bit. And yeah, we kept on saying, three-year mission, three-year mission, three-year mission. <laughs> yeah. Kind of undershot that one, didn't I? <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, oh, what, what a journey. What a... Uh, Opportunity to learn new stuff. I mean, even how to do a podcast. Oh, yeah. Uh, so the little bit I listened to, you know, you can tell how rough it is and the sound wasn't that good. I mean, we may have been recording that in the same room. Is yeah, that right? We were, in the, we were in the same room with a little microphone right. between us and we had to keep uh, making sure that we didn't get too far away from the, the mic. Right. <laughs> right. It was just sitting there between us. And it wasn't, I mean, it was an okay mic, but not that big a deal. Right. And then apparently our Audacity uh, audio editing skills, which that's the app we use to edit all this, our skills weren't that good. Or we just didn't put that much time into it. Right. Because there's all kinds of uh, ahs and sniffles and all kinds of things like that can be heard. Yeah. I haven't gone back and listened to it since for several years so i'm sure it's pretty bad (laughs) and it was funny because we purposely did i I think like issues 34 and 32 or something like that uh, of gold key right it was 34 and 36 34 and 36 i knew that we skipped a book because and the reason why is because i had that one physically that i bought like a uh, walton's reprint and it Mm -hmm. had those two issues in it and we were just like you know, I don't want to start. We don't want to start with number one because we know we're going to be bad at the beginning. So let's just randomly do these two issues. Right. And if I remember right, don't we do the first one kind of in the the vein that we do them now, where we kind of give the synopsis of the story and then our notes, and mm-hmm. then in the second issue, we did a page by page. We like said what happened on the page, our thoughts on that page, and then we went to the next page and did our our thoughts on that page. 
We probably did, but I didn't go that far <laughs> to see about the second one. But the first one, definitely, we did the synopsis and then yeah. talked yeah, about I th- it. I think after we, we, tried them, we tried them out both ways, and then we were like, yeah, that first one went a lot faster. <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, at first, we may not have always been as uh, prepared in writing down all of our thoughts. We did things a little bit more loose and free, which uh, usually leads to it not being very good. <laughs> a lot of ahs and and wait a minute and oh uh, yeah it's and, a lot and cleaner what, when we prep ahead of time what also hurt those first few episodes is that i was writing all the synopsises and so you were reading them but you were reading them you know pretty much for the first time mm-hmm. out loud and you know my writing style is not the same as your writing style so the way i was describing it wouldn't have been the way you described it in and you had a, you know, there was a lot of like, what are you trying to say? Mm. Uh, so uh, <laughs> in the middle of recording, right? So uh, uh, I think once we once we finalized the format where we each wrote our own uh, synopsis that we we're going to read out loud, then uh, then it started going a lot smoother. Right. Yep. But you know what? I I love that we spent the last eleven, twelve years um, reading these and talking about them because I don't know if I would have ever sat down and read all the gold key or even all the the marvel first run and and it definitely not the newspapers and stuff um except you know i had you to talk about it with and share that with so uh, i'm really happy that we did it and yeah. glad that we're you could say we done yeah i feel the same way and definitely i wouldn't have read all these i can guarantee you i wouldn't have i wouldn't even have read a a significant percentage of the mods are. I wasn't really as much reading the comic books at that stage of my life. So being brought back into it was very cool and enjoying it with yourself, Donovan. Yeah. Partner and, in crime. And, and not just us. I mean, we have had a few people join the show randomly. Yes. And, and that's always been fun. Yep. So Brian and Christian and Jamie and Rachel all came on. Uh, on various episodes, which was episodes, great. And then, mm-hmm. and then we had a whole group of people for the, the Gold Key Theater stuff. Yep. Gold Key Theater episodes are some of my favorites. Yeah. Unfortunately, they are also the the uh, technolo- most technologically uh, challenging. challenging. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of them in particular, we just had a lot of people involved. And not everybody was able to record do the same recording sessions, so... Pulling together multiple MP3 files and getting all the editing down, it was, uh, those are challenging. When just you and I did the Gold Key Theaters, they were kind of fun because we both got to do parts and, you know, we had more control over it. Right. Uh, but then the other ones were so good because we had so many people involved and it's like, oh my gosh, they do a great Spock. Or... Mm-hmm. Uh, or the announcers and things like that. The announce, yeah, that some, some people had great announcer voices. Yeah, yeah. And what was no, that lady's name? That that young girl, that lady, Erin. Erin, and she was like an actor. Like she re- she really was an actor. Yeah, or at least yeah, she no, sort of sounded like one. Uh, and she's gone on to do voice acting in cartoons and stuff. So, oh, cool. That's yeah. great. Good for her. Yeah, yeah. No, and she was fantastic. She's yeah. definitely. The most talented out of all of us. <laughs> you know, that is what, something she was actually pursuing. So, Right. Yeah, no, it's a lot of fun. I mean, would you say, aside from the Gold Key Theaters, do you have a favorite episode over the last 354? Uh, 
Not that I can think of. If I really sat down and thought about it, I probably could figure out, oh, that was one where I was particularly insightful, and so were you. <laughs> wow, we did great on that one, but I, I can't think of one. You mean where we sounded like we knew what we were talking about? Yes. Yes. Uh, we actually could have convinced people of that in that particular episode, as opposed to most. Right. I, I don't have a particular favorite episode, but I really liked it when we still had so many different issues to do where we could choose and do clumps of books that were all set in the same time frame, mm -hmm. yet they were published, you know, years or decades apart. So like mm. when we did the the motion picture era, we were doing the comic strips that came out at the time, the Marvel comics that came out at the time, and then we also did some IDWs that came out years later and Marvels that came out years later, but we're still set in that motion picture time frame. Mm -hmm. Um I really like that we were able to do that kind of stuff where we were doing vastly different, I don't want to say quality of books, but vastly different storytelling focuses, you know, because some were really aimed at kids and then some mm. were really taking a little bit more serious. And, and I liked it that, you know, technically they were all set at the same time. So I liked it when we were able to do that. Now that we've been kind of caught up for a while, you know, we didn't have that where we could throw in some old DC along with the newer stuff, even, you know, just because they were kind of set at the same time. Right. And then going forward, I guess it'll all just be, this came out this month. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Uh, so we just looked at the past, looking at the future. I guess we have to figure out a few things. I mean, this is Star Trek comic book review, but obviously we can't just do that because we don't have as enough things to re review. So we were talking about maybe uh, reviewing the three Coda novels that have come out recently that will somehow reset the Star Trek extended universe to be more in alignment with uh, the TV shows that are out now. Right. Picard and Discovery and others. And I've read the first novel so far. Pretty doggone good. So things like that. And then other franchises. So, which we have done before on occasion, you know, in the April time frame. But... Uh, <laughs> Maybe we'll, because uh, we do love ourselves some other franchises that have that do have comic books. So maybe some right. more uh, Firefly and things like that. Or Lost in Space, even though I've Lost not in been a big Space fan of the shows. Oh yeah, but I would love Lost to read space. some of those Lost in Space comics set in the movie universe, the Matt LeBlanc and uh, Heather Graham and Richard Hurt continuity there's some comic books that are set in that time frame that i've always wanted to read yeah that'd be great because i really like that movie i'm really kind of sorry they never had a second one but right and i mean like you said there's so many that we've kind of touched on in the april episodes like planet of the apes and things like that that i think would kind of be fitting with what our original mandate was which was to review comics based on beloved classic sci-fi shows right and yeah movies tv shows there you go right okay so, should be fun it's not over even though we're caught up <laughs> right <laughs> so we're doing mirror war one and two today so it might be a while before we get around to doing another mirror war episode because we'll want a few issues to talk about not just right. one at a time month to month so uh, and so issue number three, I just took a look this morning, and Comixology was saying it's going to be available in January. 
Right. So. And then and then I think that data one, the kind of the spin-off, the mirror universe data when issue. When is that one, one supposed to be available? Uh, I think it's supposed to come out around the same time, so okay. beginning of the year. Okay, so we, we might actually be able to have data and issue number three to do. Yeah, if, yeah whenever they do come out. So. Okay. So we'll still have Star Trek as long as IDW keeps pumping them out. We'll still still be talking about them. Yeah. And they may not be doing ongoing monthly ones anymore, but gosh darn it, I love these little uh, series, these short series. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I would do a ongoing, you know, on the Picard time frame or the, you know, even the Discovery or Strange New Worlds time frame. Man, I would I would love a. You know, just every month to get a story and, and set in that universe. Agreed. Agreed. So, yeah, boy, it, I'm, I'm really looking forward to Strange New Worlds. Right. And I think Lower Decks would work out pretty well in a comic. Right. I mean, it would be a, a more comedic one, but I think it could work. Right. Plus prodigies out there. Right, right. Mm. So you want to get started with Mirror One, or did you uh, have anything else to talk about? I have about? nothing else to say Any about more the past or the future. I'm just on the present. All right, here we go. Okay, this is Mirror War number one, which, of course, uh, actually is, quote, the second book since we had Mirror War zero that we already did. Published date, October 2021. Writers are the same, Scott and David Tipton, as I guess they're probably the writers of the entire series. Artist, Gavin Smith. Colorist, Charlie Kirchhoff. Letterer, Neil Yataki. Editor, Megan Brown. Okay, so we got three covers, which is cool. So cover A features a big headshot of Picard and, of course, Troy's abs and cleavage, which is pretty cool. So there's a really good drawing of her. She looks a lot more fit in this cover than she did in covers from issue zero. And we've also got Riker, O'Brien, the Enterprise, a few Cardassian and Klingon ships, that are firing at each other are on there too. And this is a cover by one of Donna's favorites, J.K. Woodward. Cover B presents four drawings of Barclay's head and torso overlapping with each other and colored slightly differently from each other. So I guess it's trying to show multiverse stuff. And this one is by Amanda Madriaga. And finally, retailer incentive cover shows a headshot, which is one head, but two faces that are behind a shattered glass. So the left side of the head is clearly Data's, and the right half appears to be Barclay's. And that cover is by Mark Alvarado. Picard and an unfamiliar Andorian in dress uniforms enter a fancy-looking building where a party is going on. They pass through security and are determined to be unarmed. Picard makes a beeline to see a man named Rogers, who is surrounded by plenty of bodyguards. The conversation that ensues tells us Rogers and Picard have done business in the past, and that Rogers has cheated Picard repeatedly. The verbal conflict comes to a head when suddenly the Andorian raises his left arm and fires a directed energy weapon apparently hidden in his arm. And that beam hits Rogers and his three bodyguards simultaneously. The Andorian grabs Rogers' wallet and a data crystal on a chain around his neck. Picard says with Rogers' identification and the data crystal, LaForge will be able to hack Rogers' accounts. 
Roger's small fortune will help fund Picard's bold plan. On their way out of the building, Picard and the Andorian are grabbed by security, and in the scuffle, an Andorian mask is ripped off to expose Data's face. Not happy at all about losing his Halloween costume, Data blasts all three security men with his left arm weapon. They exit the building and make it to Picard's yacht, which they take back to the Enterprise D. Meanwhile, back on the ship, Troy is interrogating Barclay to confirm what he told them of the ship factory planet is on the level. Troy's expert use of her sexy ways combined with the threat of a torture booth convinces Barclay to spill the beans. He tells her of the story of escape to the weak alternate dimension after Picard's attempt to steal the alternate dimension's Enterprise D failed miserably. On the alternate Enterprise, Barclay made his way to his counterpart's quarters where he knocked him out and took his place. Barclay says he did his best to integrate with the crew while he looked for a way back to their universe. On an away mission to Fundori, he found shipbuilders the likes of which has never been seen before. Barclay says if the Fandori exist in the weak universe, they must exist in their universe also. He says, thank the stars that Data came for him so he could retake his proper place and help Captain Picard and the Enterprise achieve their proper destiny. Deanna tells Reg she believes him. A short time later, Troy tells Picard that she does not believe Barclay at least not about him wanting to come back to them. But she does believe that Barclay is uh, convinced that everything he said about the Starship building planet is true, and that is what matters. Picard says they need to move on this and tells Data to keep an eye on Barclay. Riker and Troy have a hallway conversation that reminds us they are planning a slow-burning coup d'etat against Picard. Later in the conference room, Picard welcomes Barclay back and says he must have the gift Barclay has brought him. Data takes over and presents information on Fondori that is located approximately where Barclay said it would be. However, it is deep in Klingon Cardassian territory. So far, there is no indication the Klingons know of Fondori's existence. Data describes their bifurcated culture that is split between the administrata and the builder castes with an extremely sophisticated AI system who coordinates their activities, whose sole purpose seems to be the construction of starships. Picard is excited and shouting about how conquering Fundori will give him the armada he needs. Riker is more reserved and wary about the AI system they would be going up against. Reg assures them they can handle the AI system and appeals to their greed by saying conquering that planet will make them rich beyond avarice. From the bridge, Ensign Crusher breaks in and informs Picard that special cargo has been located and it's lightly guarded. Picard and Riker enter the bridge in time to see a Vorcha-class attack cruiser with a large green box in tow. Picard says the box is loaded with dilithium, enough to power the Enterprise to Fondori and beyond. Riker brings up multiple risks, including the possibility of a trap and the fact that Klingon ship is no pushover in a fight. 
Picard says Wesley has obtained the Klingon ship's shield codes by hacking the Rebel network. Chief O'Brien will use them to reprogram the transporters to beam onto their bridge a 12-person strike team who will take over the ship and give them Picard's dilithium prize. Dr. Leah Brahms chastises Geordi in the hallway afterward for not assigning her to reprogram the transporters. Geordi says he did not do it because he can't trust her work. Later in the ship's lounge, Leah is pounding down shots of blue alcohol. O'Brien finishes the programming in time to transport over Picard and his strike team to the Klingon ship, where all heck breaks loose. Picard and the strike team shoots all the Klingons on the bridge in cold blood. They release the huge box of dilithium by turning off the tractor beam. Picard contacts the Enterprise to tractor in the box and prepare to go to warp just as a sea of Cardassians enter the bridge firing. Picard tells Geordi to activate the self-destruct as the strike team beams back to the Enterprise and the Klingon ship explodes. Later, Picard is enjoying a hot drink in his office with Guinan sitting across from her. He asks what she thinks of the assault on the Klingon ship and the dilithium theft. She says it was good. Picard is angered by her lack of enthusiasm and says that dilithium is needed to take down the Emperor and replace him. Guinan says she is not worried about the Emperor. She is worried about the people around him. To be continued. I really like seeing Mira Guinan. Me too. And this definitely reinforces why Picard has Mira Guinan around. This issue didn't show it, but he keeps her under lock and key. I mean, she's not running the bar. No, right. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Do you know for sure she's not? Well, I'm pretty sure in a previous Mirror Universe miniseries, mm-hmm. uh, she's under lock and key. Is she? Wow, I don't remember that. Yeah. I mean, she's like, like a wild animal. Picard is just milking off her insights to give him an edge on his enemies. Right. And obviously, since his enemies are also his friends, that's a good thing to have, (laughs) apparently. Yeah, I really like that part, and I like the way they depicted her. She kind of has the hair that she has now, except instead of white, it's black. Whoopi Goldberg has that type of hair now, and I'm assuming that's probably how she's going to look in Picard, if she is indeed in Picard season two. Yeah, she's supposed to be. They said that. I hope so. I really hope so. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, I really like that. I like seeing her. I, I was surprised because I did not remember her in, in any other ones. Yeah. Yeah, she, she, she's shown up in the past in the Mirror Universe. Yeah, so those dreadlocks are really something. <laughs> I mean, she yeah. looks like Bob Marley, Rastafari, and whatever. And right. they're like all over the place. Yeah, which is, you know, how she looks like on The View. So I like that. Oh, okay. I never watched The View, but it's, I've seen it's a little bit more rumpled book. than yeah. in the book. But yeah. well, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's she's a little more wild here. Yeah, a little more bedraggled. I didn't really like that they beamed over, killed a buttload of Klingons, turned off the tractor beam, and then a whole bunch of Cardassians came, and they were able to kill all those just as easy. It just seemed a little too easy that uh, they killed. Dozens and dozens of troopers, and they don't take a single hit. Yeah, it's like the last issue. 
Right. You know, when they, but when even the Cardassians. Worse. This, this yeah. seems worse because they're always confined in the bridge and yet they're still able to knock out or kill right. a dozen of each, at least. The way they were able to take out the Klingons are one thing. That was element of surprise. But now with those Cardassians. Right. And they didn't kill all of them because they were able to get away being transported out. But there's like three panels where they're just kicking butt. And even Dr. Crusher is there. Why is Dr. Crusher there? I mean, just in case somebody gets hurt? I don't know. And these phasers are pretty much different than the prime phasers because uh, these go through people. So you see Light Crusher in particular. Her phaser goes through some poor Klingon's head. Yeah. And is splattering on the other side. Where the Prime Universe, they always start out with stun. I think in this universe, they all start out with kill. Yeah, but does it kill normally disintegrate them, or is that, a, is that a different oh. setting? I think it's going to be whatever the story wants it to be. <laughs> but, but definitely in the Prime Universe, they never had phaser beams go through people. No. I mean, because it, just, it's just more violent. You don't want your heroes to be violent like that. Right. But these are anti-heroes. These are the bad guys. These have two settings. Uh, stun and punch through. <laughs> or kill and or kill really violently. <laughs> and then Data has like a giant like cannon on his arm. BFG. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that one going through people pretty easy. Yeah. I mean, the, the size of that beam is like uh, like from a cannon. Right. It's amazing. That amazing uh, so, Data. He is a handy guy to have around. Literally handy, because he has a cannon with one arm and a claw with the other. Right. Looks like an action figure to me. <laughs> like you just swap out his arms. I think the action figure possibilities are huge <laughs> for him. Well, so, did the phasers look, look accurate? Uh, I, there's a couple of close-ups, so I figured well, they, you would have comments. Well, yeah, but they're using those crappy... Deep Space Nine, early TNG phaser rifles, which I never liked. With the little sight? I, I never noticed the sight on the original one. So is yeah. that sight on there as well? The yeah, little... they've always <laughs> been on there. Yeah, so I, I've said this before. Uh, they just sure. big, they look like big, elongated hand phasers, but they're really not that big. Uh, I mean, nothing near as big as the, you know, the phaser rifles they used in First Contact movie and things like right. that. And and I'm kind of, didn't they use those rifles in previous Mirror Universe issues? I'm kind of surprised they're all, everybody's carrying these lame early TV show phasers. Right. Well, I mean, you got to think about the time frame. This is, this has to be set somewhere in the early fourth oh, season. Okay. So you're, okay. So you're saying they're, okay. So this would be theoretically before the movie time period. Oh yeah, definitely before yeah. the movie time so, right. Yeah. yeah. So I was actually doing some looking at the um, time frame because I had a real hard time, especially in this issue with Smiley being here, O'Brien. Right. Because in Deep Space Nine, he's been on Deep Space Nine as a slave. You assume for a very long time. Oh, the Mirror Universe timeline. Yeah, in the Mirror okay. Universe, and here he's running around with Picard on you know a, a really nice ship. You know, maybe nicer than what they should have had in the Mirror Universe at this time. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I had a real hard time with him being there, you know, in general, because he's supposed to be on Deep Space Nine. So I did kind of poke around. So the uh, Terra Incognita books, which happen, you know, 
right immediately before this one mm-hmm. it was supposed to take place in 2367 and the deep space nine crossover episode was 2370 so this war has to take place within those three years but also give enough time for o'brien to be on deep space nine for a good long time as it's implied in 2370 that that crossover episode well before this ends are we going to see something that shows how smiley fell out of favor and became a slave or I'm just assuming he's going to get captured, right? Because, I mean, all Terrans are slaves on Deep Space Nine. And it's oh, kind right, of implied right, that right, the right. Klingons and Cardassians have taken over all of the Alpha Quadrant. So that's right. that's why I'm really having a hard time that the Terran Empire seems to be as strong as it is. I know they're saying that it's weak and they're needing all these extra resources because they're, you know, they are losing the battle with the Klingons and Cardassians. But I always got it, the impression from those episodes that... They had lost bad, and it was a while back, not just within the last three years before that episode. Right. Well, at least these books are making it pretty clear they're bottled up in the soul system. Right. And that's quite a reversal of fortune. I mean, if they had a multi-planet empire, and now they're all bottled up in the soul system, that's kind of amazing. Right. And so they're probably going to lose that, I guess, in these books. So, you know, we were talking about the war being maybe Picard taking over the Emperor, but maybe it's going to be... Maybe that action is what's going to finally do the Empire in. I don't know. Good point. That is a good point. So, yeah, because in those Deep Space Nine episodes, all the Terrans are slaves to the Cardassian Klingons, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. Right. And then in the later episodes, the Season 3 episode, Cisco dies leading a rebellion mm-hmm. and then a year after that they do another episode and the rebels were able to take over deep space nine and oust the cardassian klingon empire out of the station out of bajor so you know they do eventually start regaining some traction the terrans do so it'll be curious how this sets up that especially with you know some of the covers we see for the later issues with cisco and Worf and things being on on the covers right Boy, isn't that funny so how nobody can be happy? What do you mean? So Terran Empire controls everything. They're, they're poop heads. And then the Klingons and Cardassians fight against them and bottle them up into the soul system. And then the, quote, rebels, Terran rebels are able to uh, fight back. And, and who knows how much they, uh, ground they, they, they are able to... Uh, win back so just nobody's right. happy <laughs> it's just always back and forth unfortunately yeah, the, the season four episode is the one where they build the mirror defiant if you remember that one yeah and then they uh, uh what did they have to get prime universe o'brien yeah. to, to fix no, it it was actually prime universe cisco oh prime universe prime cisco universe fixed O'Brien, it? but it made more sense yeah because they yeah, that would have made a lot more sense. Because I remember they had a lot of problems with power handling or something. Too right. powerful a ship, which is prob- the Prime Universe had problems with that, too, that Smiley yeah. was able, or not Smiley, but O'Brien was able to get under control. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah, so. Anyways, just being a stickler for timelines, I- I'm You are. Really hoping, Boy, I'm you, hoping you really this, looked into it a lot more than I did. I'm hoping this miniseries does dovetail into that first episode that crossover episode 
Otherwise, I will not be happy. Well, you never know when the writers are just going to go, eh, eh, let's just do what we want to do. Or oh, you mean like they're the going to be discovery? <laughs> exactly. Or they're they're actually going to be no. This is what happened. This is canon. You know, we'll dovetail with it. I think they'll dovetail with it. I think the Tiptons are more like that. I agree. I agree. I have faith in them. They yeah. they've uh, not not done me wrong in the past. <laughs> <laughs> cool. And I did like how that last shot of O'Brien shows him smiling. That's that's, that's smiley. That's why he has that name. Ah, oh, when he when he got the programming finished on the transport, right? Yeah, yeah. they draw him with a big smile, right? Yeah, because he's sweating for most of this. As soon as he gets the uh, assignment to reprogram the transporters, he's sweating because if he fails, he's in trouble, right? And then he did it. He did it, and then he's smiling, and, and then we never see him again <laughs> for this issue, right? So uh, I didn't know that the Klingon ships could be used as towing vessels. That was that was news to me. Yeah, Just take a trailer on there and send it on its way. Well, if you got a big enough cargo, I mean, but wouldn't you think they probably use a cargo ship rather than slowing down the you know the battleship with having to tow the big thing? And apparently, it, there's a lot of dilithium because wouldn't the ship be able to store a fair amount? That you wouldn't have to resort to a big box? Yeah, you would think. Yeah. Awkward. But I guess not. Gotta have a Awkward. trailer. There you go. I like the little misdirection with the Andorian. I was not expecting that was Data. The Mission Impossible masks? Exactly. Exactly. The Mission Impossible masks. Yeah, you would think they would have something more advanced than rubber masks that could just get yanked off. <laughs> <laughs> I remember in the Orville, there was one where they had some Captain Mercer and uh, and the other guy were able to have some kind of field that would make them look like the bad guys. Oh, right. And, they, and so there was no makeup or no operation that had to happen. Anyway, yeah, I would think something more like that on the Orville than this. But you got to admit, a rubber mask works well with what happened. You can see it very easily, very quickly. It gets the point right across to you. Yes, it's Mission Impossible. Um, there you go. Well, and did but Data has a glowing eyeball. So did did he have a contact lens or something so that uh, when he's wearing the mask, it didn't have a glowing eyeball? Oh yeah, and look at how okay. So he's got a Borg eye implant, right? Right. And it's sticking above his regular skin. Right. So that made no kind of bulge at all on the Andorian when the mask was on. Yeah, in multiple ways. The glowing eyeball, how much bigger it is, you know, on the left and side of the face. Too, right? well, his hand had the cannon, but it looked like a normal hand. Yeah, so and, shoot. and take a look at the a few pages earlier when they're getting into the place. Uh, Picard's being wanded. Data's being frisked. Um, right. So they didn't use that wand-looking thing on Data? Because he's a robot. I mean, if it's... Okay, so... So they have something here drawn that looks just like a modern-day metal detector, handheld metal detector wand thing. And, okay, so it's the future. Maybe it detects more than just metal. But come on. Data's full of metal. (laughs) Yeah, especially Borg data. Exactly. Even more so. Right. Right. So uh, I, I don't know how they were able to get past that. 
And, and unless those security guys are just really inept. Just go with it. Just go with well, it. Well, I, I agree. I agree. But, <laughs> and I did. But. but yeah. And then they get into a flying saucer. That was when I what? what? Yeah. Was like, it, what? it looks like it's from My Favorite Martian. Hey, it was a good show. I forgot about that. <laughs> it was, that was a flying saucer. Yeah, yes. it was a flying saucer. And when I first saw it, it was like, God, that is the ugliest shuttle I've ever seen. It's like, oh, oh, it's the captain's yacht from Enterprise D. Yay. We never saw that before. Right. I never saw it before. But um, yeah, I forgot that that's supposed to be what the, sh- the shuttle looks like. So I thought it was just some throwback to Gold Key or UK comics where they're just like, hey, they have a flying saucer as a shuttle. <laughs> but then you pointed out the the captain's yacht and I guess it takes the sting out a little bit, but I'm still not a fan. <laughs> no, it's ugly. The Enterprise E captain's yacht is so much cooler and makes sense. I mean, from a design standpoint, you can tell that's a Starfleet vessel where this this thing Apparently, the engines are completely internal. It's just not consistent with anything we've seen from Star Trek that I'm aware of, or from Starfleet. Right. But and I also... Their shuttles always had to sell looking things. This, there you go. This one doesn't exactly. even have that. Exactly. And I have a little leg up identifying it because Eagle Moss does have a shuttle four-pack that includes the captain shuttle, or the captain's oh, yacht. really? From, from Enterprise, Enterprise D? D? Yes. So I have seen a small picture of this on the Eagle Moss website. Oh, you don't own it yet? I'm not going to either. (gasps) No. Eagle Moss is an amazing company, and I love their products, but good God, what kind of geek would you have to be to own all the ships? I mean, they make... I never counted it up, but they've got to be offering over 100 Right. Star Trek vessels. I mean, it's just amazing. And they're, and they're pulling them out of... I mean, these, they're not all hero ships. It's like, well, who would want that? On one episode of the third season of TNG, they show one ship, and they're going to make that one. It's like, that's the most boring-looking ship. And Anyway, whatever. <laughs> but now that they're pulling from the video games and other media... Oh, they're pulling from everywhere. It's like, it's, I could see getting into that myself, but, but luckily, I've, I mean, the only... The you only went, Eagle Moss I have is the Discovery, and yeah. and it, it has tempted me to get more, right. especially all the Enterprises, but uh, I have yet to start taking that plunge. Yeah, because that's a deep plunge once you take it. Because I know me, and I like I like to collect little little things, and that's right up my alley. Yep, and the traditional ships are smaller, and they're only like 30 bucks. But most of the new things they're coming out with, especially in the Star Trek, quote, universe, so the Picard stuff and, and the Cerritos, I mean, they're all bigger and they're more expensive. Right. And they're like 60 bucks and 70 bucks and, you know, 50 bucks, eh, a little more pricey. <laughs> they take up more room in the, in the home office also. Anywho. Right. So anyway, it was awesome seeing the captain's yacht from the Enterprise-D. Never saw it before in any kind of video or uh, comic book or anything like that before. So this is great. Yeah. Yeah, to my knowledge, it's the only time I've seen it. Yeah. It's kind of like the, I forgot what they call it, but there is a shuttle in Voyager also. Although I don't recall ever them talking about it being 
the captain's yacht. Although it's right. in the same spot as all the, you know, as all the, the Enterprise ones. So I, I would think it would be the captain's yacht, but I think it's a little bit bigger ship. Yeah, I think they forgot that it exists when they started <laughs> building the Delta Flyer. Right. Wouldn't you think they would use that once in a while? I mean, I yeah. Anyway. So I have one more comment about this issue, and, and that is when we read issue zero, we thought, okay, the purpose of issue zero is to give you the backstory of Terra Incognita, mm -hmm. and we won't slow down the actual issue number one with a bunch of uh, recap. Mm -hmm. And yet here we are in issue one, and they spend you know, a good four or five pages recapping Terra Incognita. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I guess even uh, Mirror Mirror War Zero. So it's just like, well, what was the point of making your that issue zero and not issue one? Yeah, I gave my theory before in the last episode, but yeah, yeah but it's watered down. Doesn't hold water because well, according to you, theory I think it's still fine. Thing. Yeah, but they recapped again. You said the reason why it was in zero is because they, they brought recapped. you up to speed. Yeah, but this one does the same thing. Well, I didn't say they're good comic book makers. <laughs> well, uh, do you have a reason for Zero? No, I don't. Well, they must I have had a reason. Reasoning. I liked your reasoning, but uh, issue one here, those five pages, to me, proved your, your theory a little false. Uh, I do not think it proves anything. I think I'm awesome, and I think I'm exactly right. Well, we did get the assassin stuff, which is not brought up at all here and things like that. So there are story elements that were brought up in Zero that we have not seen play out yet in these issues. Yeah. So we'll see. We will see. All right. What else you got? I got two more things and I'm done. So the first thing is, how did Data get all that information on Fondori? Was that information that Reg gave him? Because... It was first theoretical that Fondori even existed in the Mirror Universe. So that was a theory. It, it exists in the Prime Universe. It must be in the Mirror Universe. And Data did indeed supposedly locate the planet. That supposedly is in Cardassian Klingon territory. And supposedly the Klingons and Cardassians don't even know about the planet. Right. Yet Data was able to confirm it's there. And then he starts going and talking about the people that are there and the caste system that is there, and the AI that is there. So is that all from Reg's information in the Prime Universe? Or somehow the Empire knew about Fondori and all this detail, but the Klingons and Cardis don't? I was just well, a little I, confused. Yeah, I think if it's a combination of what Reg was able to give them, plus, I mean, they do have that viewfinder thing where they could spy in on the mirror universe at least or the prime universe at okay least. but so okay but but again that's what's in the prime universe not right so i mean they maybe, have no proof of what works in the mirror mirror universe too i don't know oh maybe some sort of super scanner where they can scan <laughs> anywhere in the universe okay 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 you 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 have pulled an explanation out of an orifice and a fine <laughs> one <laughs> okay. Okay, so at the back of this issue, they have a cover of a publication called the Mirror Universe Collection. So apparently they've taken the stuff from multiple Mirror Universe 
miniseries and pulled him into this thing, I guess. It's, I guess it's some kind of reprint. Yeah. It's uh, Through the Mirror, Mirror Broken, and Terra Incognita, those three go. miniseries. And the cover, one of the covers, maybe there's more than one, I don't know, but the one that they show in this book shows Card's head and face and then Data, and you know, Data's all kind of weird and parts of his human facade are off and he looks like a robot underneath. Anywho, and then it also shows cool the Stargazer. But I want to focus on Picard. Because Picard, I, the minute I saw that cover, I said, Gurney. This, this is Gurney Hollick from the Dune movie, the 1984 Dune movie. And so I went ahead and started doing some searches on the, on the web. And sure enough, I found a still from that Dune movie. And it's got the same... It's almost, you know whoever did this cover probably took this photo of Patrick Stewart as Gurney Hollick in the Atreides uniform, House Atreides uniform, and just adapted it to this cover because the House Atreides uniform is black with a very high collar and there's some gold uh, like eagle kind, or some kind of bird things on the, uh, the left and right front of the collar. And then you mm-hmm. see Picard has the, the, the big, tall, rank bars instead of pips. They're bars. And, uh, and, I'm just, and then Data has the same kind of uniform, but it's gold. And it's like, I'm sorry, that's it. Oh, of course, Gurney didn't have a, a beard where Picard does, or this Picard does. Uh, but it's like, that's it. That's it. That's where they got it from. Anyway, that's it. Last thing I have yeah, to say. That's actually by J.K. Woodward. Cool. Yeah, I thought it was a cover to one of the other issues, but I don't, I don't remember it. So maybe it's uh, something unique. He did it's one I haven't seen yet. That book, I, I think, is unique for this Mirror Universe collection publication. Yeah, probably. Yeah, but yeah, looks good. Yes, that's all I have to say about this one. All right. Well, we'll move on to issue two. Came out November two thousand twenty-one. The writer, artist, letterer, editor—all the same as issue one. There is only three covers that I could find. First one is by J.K. Woodward, and it shows big old head of Mirror Wharf. And then off to the side, we see a Klingon bird of prey, Geordi with his Mirror Universe sunglasses. Kind of an odd shot of uh, Dr. Crusher. And then we see Wesley, uh, not with the spiky hair, but with his normal Wesley hair shooting what seems to be a, uh, maybe Garrick, but uh, definitely a Cardassian of some sort. So everybody looks great, except for Crusher just doesn't quite look right there. She's a brunette. Uh, Short-haired brunette, not red. Face somehow doesn't look right, so I I don't, I can't put my finger on it, but I think she looks hot. Just off. What's that? I think she looks hot. (laughs) But but she's different. It's the the brown hair that does, does it for me. Is it the hair? And it is weird that he, Wesley has the the normal Wesley hair and not the spiky hair that he has in the book. Good point. Good point. And of course, in the issue, Doctor Crusher's hair is red. It's not brown. Right. Right. All right. So the second uh, cover is by Amanda Magrida. Probably mispronounced that. And uh, it's kind of a just a flat picture of Mirror Cisco and Mirror Rome. Which is weird because we never saw Roe in Deep Space Nine uh, Mirror Universe episodes, but Cisco here is wearing the same 
Captain Sisko uniform he wore in the Mirror Universe episodes. And then the third cover is by Gavin Smith. And it shows Ensign Rowe. And then beneath, beneath her, we see a large Klingon ship. What is that Klingon ship called? I always forget. They're capital ships. Well, they're not D7s anymore. Right. Uh, I, I'm not sure what that one's called. I can, I can look it up. Eh, don't worry about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's got a very interesting name with an apostrophe in it somewhere. I'll look right. it up. <laughs> and then what's odd is that in the bottom left-hand corner, we see a what I think might be a New York Yankees-looking logo. Uh, I don't know if that's the artist's signature, but uh, it doesn't look like Gavin's. Oh, actually, Gavin Smith didn't do the cover. Oh, it's Mark Alvarado, and I guess that's an M and an A. Oh, okay, cool. But yeah, it looks very reminiscent of the uh, Yankee logo. Anyways, back to the story. So the story starts off on Tyrus 2. It's a planet with a lot of jungle. The Enterprise crew is beamed down in search of pirate treasure. And in this case, the pirate is Picard himself. A while back, he stashed some goods here, and they are now trekking through this jungle to find its location, fighting dinosaurs along the way. Once they get to where the stash is supposed to be, they find out that the loot has been plundered. And the person who took it has left a note, and it's somebody referred to as the Obnoxious Akona. And in the note, it's mocking our good captain. I guess our bad captain, since this is the mere universe. Meanwhile, Worf aboard the Klingon flagship is informed of the Enterprise's location. And he orders them to ambush the Enterprise. He assumes that they are no doubt looking for some of the captain's secret stash. The Klingon ship arrives and fires upon the Enterprise, injuring Wesley, who's at the con. Barclay takes over Wesley's station, and he and Data are able to put aside their beef long enough in order to get one disabling shot towards the Klingon warp drive. Once the Klingon ship is damaged, the Enterprise speeds away. Meanwhile, on board a pirate ship called the Dinaros, captained by Mirror Benjamin Sisko, the crew watch the exchange from afar. Mirror Row suggests that they should offer help to the Klingon ship to stay in the Klingon slash Cardassian Alliance's good graces. Sisko disagrees and he orders his ship to back away nice and slow. Later, Sisko, Roe, and Kira Nerys meet via Space Zoom. Kira says she agrees that Sisko was right not to overplay his hand, being that he's considered a free Terran since he works for her. When Roe leaves in a huff, Kira tells Sisko to keep an eye on her. Meanwhile, Riker orders Troy to help Data get over his feelings of betrayal towards Barclay so that they can finally work together without any bickering. Troy is very reluctant to do so, but Riker insists. Wesley is able to track Akona to a nearby space station called Port Charabas. Riker, Data, and three grunts beam over to the station's bar. They demand to know any information on Akona's whereabouts. After the patrons refuse... The crew start cracking skulls and disintegrating folks until eventually 
the remaining barflies' tongues are completely loose and they provide all the information that they have. Later, on Akona's small little asteroid, he arrives to his storage sphere only to find it completely cleared out. Picard, Riker, Geordi, and Data appear and inform Akona that they took back all the material that was theirs. And then Data blasts him away along with his little hideout. A short time later, the Enterprise arrives to the giant space jellyfish that we saw in the encounter at Farpoint in the Prime Universe. Data is able to probe the jellyfish with a little deflector energy to prompt the creature to open up and Picard beams over his loot, knowing that no one else knows of the creature or how to open it. As the Enterprise warps away, we learn that Worf is hot on their trail, and he vows to catch up with these nasty Terrans. To be continued. Yes. Captain Worf on the IKS Negvar. So the ship is the Negvar. What what type of ship is it? Do you know? Uh, Negvar. I oh, don't Negvar know. Negvar is the type of ship. I don't know. It's uh, it's the it's the Negvar, definitely. And let me see. Uh, the Klingon IKS Negvar was the flagship of the Klingon Imperial Fleet, commanded by a changeling posing as General Martok. It led the Klingon Empire's invasion of the Cardassian Union. Huh. Uh, yeah, that's all I know. <laughs> so. The, uh, Memory Alpha has, has something, too. Yeah, um, yeah it but says it just... that it's Nikvar class. So <clears throat> oh, is, is it? Okay. It says the Nikvar warship was the largest class of cruiser known to operate in the Klingon Empire during the late 24th century. So, okay. Anyway, it's a cool-looking ship. Yeah, it's really I, cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm glad that they got to a point where they started playing with uh, different variations of the Klingon designs. And I right. think this is one I like quite a bit. Yeah, the the color scheme is a little too much like the the Romulans. I don't know why. Oh, green! They made them so green, just yeah. like the Romulan ships. Yeah, that's true. It's got green, and it's got some red, and it's got some yellow gold, kind of. Right. Yeah. But yeah, why does everything have to be green? And then Borg's green. I mean, all the yeah, bad guys Borg's are green. Black with glowing green. These are just green green holes. Oh, okay, well, whatever. I don't know. I guess green pops on those uh, space shots. I don't know. I don't know why they did it. Yeah. Well, it's pretty doggone cool space battle. And speaking of that, as you brought brought it up, during the battle between the uh, what, Negvar and the uh, Enterprise, phasers are coming out of odd spots and hitting the Negvar. <laughs> So we've got phasers coming out of what appears to be the buzzard collectors, which is the front of the nacelles, in the front right. of the nacelles. So two phasers are coming out of there. And then, I don't know, 10 forward, the very front of the saucer section is shooting a phaser blast. Now, right. and they're not even using that big cannon thingy. Well, that was my thing. I always thought that was supposed to be a big cannon, so why, why yeah. not use that? I, I would. <laughs> Yeah. Huh. 
Yeah, and uh, I didn't mention it, but it was like Data is able to do this super fast and super efficient. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, why doesn't he always do it? I don't know. Why can't he always make these miracle shots? <laughs> Instead of, you know, security, Worf, Worf doing it on... On tactical Prime station, Unix. yeah. Well, I mean, when we really think about it, we've got, you know, cars that are more and more able to drive themselves, and they react a lot faster than people. And you know how Star Trek battles are usually, you know, scripted. All this time is going, and there's dialogue, and sometimes there's emoting going on, and then they're firing. And it's like, have the computer do it. Just execute, execute the, the ship maneuvers, execute the, the firing patterns. It's like, you know, come on, guys. Anyway. And then the humans can start looking like they did in Wally. -E. Nah. You don't really do anything anymore. <laughs> ship flies us around, does all our battles. Well, it's a matter of competition. The only car companies that are really competitive are the ones that do a lot of automation in the factories. So, and gets their, you know, their cost of production down. So, I'm just saying, it's kind of hard, especially if the other guys are going to go for automation too. Right, right. Got to compete. Don't want to be blowed up. So, on that Klingon ship during the battle, is that Galron? Uh, oh, informing... Galron? I don't know. It's just it. I'm wondering. Is that supposed to be him? He's. A Klingon with giant eyeballs, so that always makes me think of Galron. <laughs> Let me go back and look. It's uh, right after that shot where the Enterprise is shooting the uh, Klingon ship. He he's the one that's telling Worf that they received rapid hits. Oh, uh, oh yeah, that does kind of look like Galron, doesn't it? <laughs> Wouldn't it be odd if in this alternate universe he's just a peon? Right. On Worf's bridge. Could be. Looks like him. Big eyes. <laughs> I just thought that was funny. It is. Another thing that's funny is Space Station K7 showing up from the Trouble with Rivals. Yeah, it looks like K7, but it's it called... Port Charibois. Charobus. Charobus? Is that it? I don't know. No, I have no idea. I mispronounce everything. So C-H-A-R-Y-B-O-I-S. Sounds like French or something. Yeah. So anyway, it looks like K7. It looks just like K7, but agreed. There's a big marking on the original station, on the, on the Taz TV episode, and it says very clearly, K-7. And we don't see that here. Yeah, is that before they started naming them Deep Space whatever? <laughs> I guess. So this is before they went into Deep Space, I guess. I was like, well, I mean, when they first established K-7, I'm sure they figured, you know, that's pretty far deep space, but... Mm. Right. But then, then they take over another space station, call it Deep Space Nine, and it's even further out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I've always thought the Deep Space moniker was kind of weird. Yeah. It's all relative. Right. As we push I, out I, the I do love the that line from the pilot of Deep Space Nine when Brashear's going on and on about being in the the wild frontier or whatever. And then Kira's like, this is my home. It's not, it's not a wild, you know, it's not uh -huh. the unknown frontier. We're already here. You know, yeah, we've been here for a long time, pal. This is our yeah. neighborhood. I, I love, I love that line. Yeah. So remind me, is Tyrus two from anything? 
the dinosaur planet? I don't know. Oh where... my god, that was so. <laughs> I, I don't remember that ever before. Okay, I thought. Well, I was like, surely I would remember a dinosaur planet. Uh, yeah. They, I mean, they're like raptors and stuff. It's like, geez. right? Yeah, bunch of snakes, crocodiles, and what looks like raptors, right? Yeah. I do not read. And then, and then Picard chokes one to death. Oh, I love that. That is great. <laughs> he's got he's got a uh what rowdy roddy piper uh you know strangulation hold, hold yeah. or something sleeper hold that's it yeah you're right yeah. <laughs> but yeah i think he breaks the neck because it says crack yeah i don't know are you having any plans to see the resident evil movie that's out right now uh i have no current plans yeah well there's a there's a scene very similar to this where where somebody chokes out a, a a monster from the games that's usually very, very hard to kill. Yet mm-hmm. In the movie, you're able to just jump on its back and choke it. Oh. <laughs> uh, does that bode well for the movie? I, I actually like the movie, but oh, you saw? Okay. Yeah, yeah. If you're, a, yeah, I've seen it a couple times actually. Oh. If you're a purist <laughs> of the game, you, I could see you being unhappy because they change stuff up, but. But I think they change enough to keep it interesting. Yeah. Well, how many how many you Resident what? Evil movies have there been? It seems like there's been an awful lot. Yeah, this is the seventh live action one. But it's a reboot, so they're they're Oh, they're starting over again. Yeah. Do they still have that lady actress? Amelia Hovovich? No, she's she's out. Okay, so she's out and they got new people. Okay. Well, yeah. She yeah. was Okay. Yeah, complete reboot. Okay. Starting over again. Why not? So, the obnoxious Akona. Did you know nah. that? <laughs> I love when they slip all these things in. <laughs> so, they got, they got K7. They've got the jellyfish from Encounter at Farpoint. They slip yep. that in here. They've got the outrageous Akona as the no, no, obnoxious, no. obnoxious Akona. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> wait for it. Wait for it. Okay. So... Yeah. Yes. So, <laughs> everybody's flipped. Although I think some people could have said the outrageous Alcona might have been a little bit obnoxious at times. But Oh, absolutely. But his note, it's, it reads like a Joker letter. It just says, sorry, Captain Picard. Ha, 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 ha. Then a whole bunch of ha's. I... With honest regards, the obnoxious Alcona. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's a, it's a Joker note to Batman. Yeah. And it's like, are you an idiot? Have you ever seen the guns on Picard? It's bad enough you steal his stuff. Don't don't write a note. Uh-huh. <laughs> I thought it was funny. I, I love that they brought in a Kona, just some random character from one episode. <laughs> exactly. I know you know this, but I'm just going to mention it, that the actor, what was his name? Uh, Campbell? Something Campbell? Oh, uh, Billy Campbell? Oh, there you go. I think you're right. The Rocketeer, Rocketeer and many other things. Yep. Yep. Um, he was in the running to be Riker. Oh, is that right? Yes, and they decided to go with Frakes instead. But they, uh, I guess they brought him, they said, hey, you know, we've got a script we'd like to, you to come in and do. So he was a Kona. That's cool. I, I do like him. He was in something else not too long ago that I thought he was pretty good in. I've liked him in the things I've seen him in. He was in a TV show not long ago. That he did for uh, 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 the the producer of the uh, Battlestar Galactica reboot. 
who used to write a bunch of scripts for Next Gen. Okay. God, what's his name? With the with the beard and everything, dark um, beard and everything. Really talented writer. Anyway, so he did a a, a, a TV series that was talking about uh, basically some kind of biological threat, and this Billy Campbell was the star of that. Uh, oh, okay. I, forgot, I forgot the name of it. I, I think it was short lived. I think it was a sci fi show, sci fi channel show. Hmm. Um, Helix, Helix. Yeah, I never heard of that one. Yeah, and I think he currently he's uh, he's getting some acclaim, being the star of Cardinal, which is a Canadian TV show. Ah, anywho, well, good for him. Yes, good for the outrageous or obnoxious Akona. Yeah, and I do have, definitely have notes about Crusher, Doctor Crusher on the cover. Yeah, it looked weird, right? Weird, different. It caught my eye, and I, I think she looks kind of cute. But definitely, uh, the hair is unusual. Right. And she's definitely got a, has a rather stern face. She doesn't look like she laughs enough. <laughs> and then I do like, uh, I thought it was odd that, I don't know if it's odd. I don't know how to take when she shows up on the bridge to fix Wesley's boo-boos. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> in, in one way, it's like, well, that's what a mother would do is run up from seat beta see his arm but then she's supposed to be the mirror crusher and she right. should be like oh those scars will make you tougher you know that exactly. kind of thing so she should probably but, be saying fix it yourself exactly but i guess you just needed that conversation between her and wesley to talk about the captain's ego oh yeah ego the captain's ego wes oh you know what i never noticed this but before he gives picard his report he does tap on the communication device twice uh which communication device uh the one on his chest it's like so is he sending a secret message to somebody oh when crusher first enters the bridge no i guess i guess he's calling the captain because he's sitting at the con rikers in the captain's chair and then he clicks the communications logo and then he says captain picard i found something and then the next panel captain picard's just on the bridge so I guess some time is supposed to have elapsed between those two panels. Right. I think you're right. Uh, I thought I, I'm still leaning towards him or what's her face being that assassin in issue zero. So I thought, well, maybe maybe that was a clue. But no, nah, I don't think it is. Oh, Crusher was the assassin. I don't know. It's somebody that's kind of small. So it's well, definitely not. It's right. Troy. I think it, I think it's Troy. Oh, you think it's Troy. Well, they're they're going to take over the ship, right? Oh, her and Riker? Troy and Riker. I mean, they had that little kiss in the hallway. Interesting. I don't remember us talking about that possibility. Oh, you weren't listening to my synopsis. Yeah, so in number one... I'm talking about Zero, where Zero was the one that had the assassin in it. Okay, but in one, you actually see them in the hallway after the meeting, Mm -hmm. and they do a big huggy-kissy thing. And they're basically talking about how they're going to do a mutiny. Right, but somebody oh. already tried, and so you're well, no, thinking destroyed. In some of the previous miniseries, that's when we first heard that Troy and Riker were going to do a mutiny. And I completely forgot about it until the hallway scene in issue one. And, it, and that reminded me, oh, right, they're planning on doing a mutiny. 
And then that's when it said, oh, well, that would make sense that Riker or Troy would be the assassins or somebody working for them. And since the Mm -hmm. person was too small to be Riker, it was probably Troy or somebody that Troy got to do it. Hmm. Right. Yeah, I think that was that Mirror Broken miniseries because that was the one where Riker came onto the ship for the first time. Ah, there you go. Interesting. There you go. You're right. I, I must not have heard that part of your synopsis. Uh, well, maybe I skipped over it, but it was in there, you know, after they got the briefing. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. I, I know the scene. I just didn't right. put that and the assassin together. So, ah, cool. There you go. Good observation. I still think it was Sonya Gomez, though. <laughs> maybe it was. Maybe <laughs> it was. Although she's not in any of these books, so I don't know. Maybe not. Well, they they like to throw people, at, slip people in here from the past. So I, I don't doubt that she'll make a return. Right. And maybe she was the uh, assassin. Now, and maybe that's part of the reason why she was so gung-ho about saving Riker in that shuttle situation. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, maybe they're working together or something. Or she's know. just a good crew member. A good crew member. Oh, by the way, since you saved my life, how about killing Picard? <laughs> okay, give me the ninja outfit. I'll do it. Anywho. That's all I have to say on this one. Uh, yep. I, I continue and enjoy how the story progresses. Right. And I'm not sure what's, what's the deal with alcoholic girlfriend of Jordy. Uh, I forgot oh, her name. Oh, Leah Brahms? Leah Brahms, right. I mean, what's the point of making her an alcoholic? Just to give her something to do? Right. And why is she on the ship? I mean, I guess because in this universe, this is one of the only big ships but still why why not have her on the space station designing more instead of right actually on the ship yep and she was is she dr leah brahms here or is she just yeah, leah I brahms so. i thought they called her doctor in the first okay. issue but okay yeah you should think she would be back designing ships not on a ship right. i agree right. with you right and we didn't talk about it all but i mean i did like the nods to the deep space nine episodes with uh Mira, Kira, Narice, mm-hmm. who I guess is Regent, Regent Narice and mm-hmm. uh, Cisco, and then they brought in Ro. She's not in the Deep Space Nine episode, so I got a feeling she might not make it through these issues. <laughs> 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 but I thought it was cool to bring her into it, mm-hmm. Ro. Yeah, why not? But I wonder, is she like an overseer? Because she's Bajoran. Why would she be on a, a Terran pirate ship unless she was... Kira's mole, but Kira's the one that's saying, hey, you need to watch her. So, that doesn't quite add up. Yeah, I I was a little bit thrown off by that, just because I do not remember as much of those Deep Space Nine episode details as you do. And I did not remember Kira being Cisco's boss. Yeah, Kira's everybody's boss. No, she's a She's no, okay, so of... she's she's the regent of Bajor? Yeah, Terra Nor. So so like okay. even the Cardassians and stuff that are on the station and the Klingons are are subservient to her. Oh. Oh, oh really? Yeah, so Garrick's like her left oh, dog. She's sh- the one that's always That's so funny. Sniggling at her feet. How did Kira, a Bajoran a small planet Become overlord of the Klingons and Cardassians. Funny, funny, yeah. funny, funny. Hmm. I do not remember that detail. 
I, I really should go back and watch those. I, I, I know how good Deep Space Nine is, and it is. It's just not a series that I repeatedly watched much. Right. No, I recently watched all the Mary Universe episodes, so they're, they're somewhat fresh. There you go. Okay. In the memory banks. Good. Which is why, remember in the Mary Universe Voyager issue, it bothered me that, that uh, Tuvok was there. Since he's on Deep Space Nine after Inter- uh, Voyager started in the Mirror Universe, so he wasn't. If if Voyager got lost in the same time mm-hmm. in the Mirror Universe, then he should be Tuvok lost. Should not be on there. Right. Exactly. So, but again, that's me nitpicking. <laughs> you nitpicker, you. Yep. Okay. All right. Anything so, else about uh, this one? Nope. Nope. I'm good. Okay, so we're not going to get any new issues until January, it sounds like. So yeah. uh, what do we do for the next episode, Donovan? Good question, Ken. So since we're completely caught up with books as of today's date, we're going to start delving into the novels. So we'll do uh, Star Trek Coda, book one. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a great idea. A that's surprising. What is the subtitle to that one? Do you remember? Uh... <laughs> uh, no, but all of all three books, of course, have a little uh, name. And if you give me a moment, I can pull it up. I used to have it on my phone, but since I finished it, I removed it. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think I still have it. Do you? It is uh, moments asunder. There you go. So yeah, so uh, this is the big uh, wrapping up all of the. Novel expanded universe and wrapping it all up. It is really interesting. And at the end of the book, which you'll be getting to soon, there's a whole big long thing where the writer talks Dayton about. Lord, right? Uh, I think I think I think he did the first one. I yeah. So he's talking about he and three other Star Trek novel writers that are friends. You know, got right. together and said, "Oh boy," when they first started seeing you know like Picard and stuff. They were like, oh, well, okay, we've got a new reality to deal with now. So what's, how are they going to reset things, and what can we do to help? So apparently it was the author's ideas, and they Which went to good. the publisher with it. Anyway, you'll see. Yeah, no, that's really good. Yeah, so no, I've been looking forward to these books since they announced them, so it does kind of stink because it is wrapping up, you know, 30 years worth of not 30 years, 20 years of continuity. Everything post-Nemesis has been all set in one universe. Right. As far as the novels go, the comic mm-hmm. books have done their own thing. Sure. Uh, but it, it was kind of cool that, you know, the, the original series, the Enterprise books, the Next Gen, Deep Space Nine, all set in the same post-Nemesis universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's kind of sad to see all that, that uh, wrapping up, but I guess it has to end at some point. Right. They well, even some... But at least they're doing something to address it. I mean, exactly. they, didn't, they, did, just they didn't do anything for Star Wars, right? Right, right. Yeah, no, nothing. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. I, I like that they're, they're, they're getting the chance to wrap it all up as opposed to just one month it's one continuity and the next month it's a different one. Right. So it's kind of a, a celebration of that continuity that basically is going to be swept away. <laughs> and they get to explain how it's swept away, so... Right. There you go. Right. Yeah. So no, I'm looking forward to it. And, and like I said, I'm I'm a 
about halfway done through the first book, and, and I'm really enjoying it so far. Good, good. I've started the second one. But we will be spoiling uh, uh, not only those books, but all the other books that we'll at least have to make reference to um, post-Nemesis stuff. So, Well, something you commented on, and I agree, uh, when we were texting back and forth, at the beginning of the novels, they go over... A lot of history that's from the novels and sometimes right. sometimes it's not just the novels sometimes they make references to movies and things too but they make a ton of references just to bring everybody up to speed remind you of what happened that's going to be pertinent in the rest of the book right so, and i'm assuming that each book probably references different things at the beginning maybe like but some of the storylines are going to be referenced in this book Right, but definitely listening to the beginning of the second one, they went over some of the some of the same things, the okay. same events that they did in the first one, but then they had some other new ones. Right. So it's kind of a yep. mix. So yeah, no, I'm I'm really looking forward. To it. So yeah, I'm sure so, we'll have lots to talk about next next episode. So two of the three have been published, and we will be working on them. And eventually, when we edit them and get them out months from now. Uh, hopefully it will not be uh, too much of a spoilery issue for people because it just it's been published and available for a while by then. Right. Um, All right. Well, thank you everybody for joining us on the uh, uh, the very important Star Trek comic book review that got us completely caught up. Yes. Congratulations, Donovan. It was your you can for keeping us on track. Well, and you being our librarian of uh, a vast amount of Star Trek comic book uh, knowledge and keeping track of all this. It's great. Thank you. I know I wouldn't have. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll be back next week with some Star Trek novel review. Oh, yeah. We, We have to change the intro. Uh, Thanks for joining us, everybody. See you next time. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic, second name Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.